All right, well, good morning, Shore Church. It is good to see you all. It's good to be back in the theater. Uh, We are starting a new series, a new 12-week series in the book of Colossians. And so if you have a Bible, we open our Bibles. You can go to uh, the book of Colossians, the series called Jesus Changes Everything. We're really excited about this. Uh, We chose this book uh, as the first book we were gonna go through as a church because there is no book that is so anchored in um, a rich theology of who Jesus is, what he's done, There is no one more important, no more uh, exciting, no one who will love you more, change your life more than Jesus does. And so we wanted to spend the first weeks just looking at a letter that Paul writes to this church that's all about Jesus, how to abide in Jesus, know you're complete in Jesus, how to live all of life in Jesus. And so we're going to be just saying Jesus a lot because our mission, as it's always been, is to make Jesus known. And so that's why we're in the book of Colossians, so excited about this. Uh, So here's what I'd encourage you to do. Read it. Go home, read Colossians, read it a few times, memorize parts of it. It is such a wonderful book. We're going to go very slow through it because every verse is important. Every verse matters. So very excited. So Colossians, if you don't own a Bible, uh, maybe you're a guest or you're visiting today, we have some nice ones. If you want to put your hand up, the ushers would love to bring you a Bible, give you a Bible, or you can just grab one at the Welcome Center on your way out as well. But it's our gift to you. Um, before we get to the book of Colossians, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for just your prayers, for all the volunteers, for the staff, for an incredible launch of the Shore Church for Easter. It was a great time. Uh, and so I just want to thank you. My heart was so full. And so I thank God for you. Uh, want to give you a few updates as well. We are working really hard at trying to get a website up. We'll hopefully have that this week. Uh, we're going to keep communicating to you uh, on the city for a few months till we get some systems and that kind of thing transitioned over. So just appreciate your grace in this transition time. If you have any questions, hey, what's going on? Please let us know. We're just really busy trying to get things working. Uh, but if you are, uh, this is home for you and you're giving, your giving is the same as per usual. You can give at the Connect Center, Welcome Center. Uh, and um, also, but if you are giving by check, we are still waiting on our status number. And so you can still fill it out to Westside Church, but everything will be allocated to the Shore Church. We'll just be in a transition season for about a month or two. So bear with us. Uh, we love you. We're working hard. It's, uh, I'm always in my office crying. So if you see me, because I, you know, you have to write all, you have to write web content. I just thought we'd preach. Anyways, uh, you can pray for me. It's really exciting though. Love the Shore Church. Let's, let me pray and then we'll get into it. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you that we have a book that we are going to just be face to face with you. I thank you that you are real. I thank you that when you do come into our lives, how we do money changes, how we, how we do marriage changes, it becomes all that it was meant to be. How we do parenting changes, how we work changes, how we love our neighbors, how we think, how we move, where our hope lies. Everything changes when you, the center of our reality, the the savior of our soul comes into us and you define us. You are who we are. And Lord, the mysterious, beautiful nature of the gospel is that it's living, it's alive and it, it abides in us. And so God, I just, I thank you for your church. I thank you for what you're doing in, in, the, in the life of your church. This is your family. You are the head. And so Jesus, I just 
I just ask that as we uh, unpack your word, I pray that we would see more of you today. We would get more of you today. And I pray God for those who are new, maybe they don't yet believe in you. I just pray that you'd meet with them. I pray that they would feel welcomed here, cared for here. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would uh, begin to use us, God. We are a, a church, always been a church on the North Shore, for the North Shore, but we just... We thank you for this time. So I pray that the things we learned today would go with us and so we can make you known. And uh, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Book of Colossians. So this is a new book, so we're gonna have to teach some background information. So let me uh, begin before we read the text, uh, letting you know that Paul uh, is writing this letter. You'll see that in verse one. He's writing this letter from prison uh, along with Timothy. More than likely, uh, this church started during Paul's two-year stay in Ephesus, the book of Acts, if you're new to the Bible. Uh, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And then Acts, written by Luke, tells you what happened when Jesus rose from death, how the early church began and it started. And it just, <clears throat> excuse me, shares with you like how the church started. So you meet a guy named Paul in Acts 9. God comes to him, saves him while he's on the way to murder Christians. And he commissions him to be an apostle, a capital A apostle. These are guys who go on to write books to the Bible. There's a unique, special anointing. Uh, that office is died with the apostles. And so there's small A apostles, those who are like church planners and that kind of thing. But Paul, when he's writing, he's writing on behalf of Christ and he's writing to this church in Colossae. And so Again, this church began by a guy we'll meet in verse eight named Epaphras, who became a Christian under that teaching, took the gospel back to his hometown, planted this church, started the church, and now he's in relationship with Paul. And there's some things going on in Colossae that Paul needs to address, okay? So Colossae, let me give you some uh, background of it. It was uh, 80 miles inland from Ephesus. It's a city of um, Phrygia on the Lycaeus River. Here's a map of that. Oh, it's right here. So you can see uh, it's right there and then it zooms out. So you can see there's Ephesus, 80 miles from Ephesus at the top there. Uh, today, Western Turkey. Here's a picture of what the terrain is like in Colossae. You know, kind of looks like just like Abbotsford on a, just a dry day. Oh, that's Colossae. So you don't even have to go now. You don't have to go. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so um, small town, <clears throat> but God was at work in this town. And so he's writing because there's some false teaching. There's different spiritualities. Actually, if you read it, commentate it. This was so frustrating because every common commentary I read, because you want to learn why is he writing? Like, what is he writing into? What questions, what errors are going on that he has to write. They all have different angles. Some believe this is this Gnosticism rising up and they had this belief that like the spirit was good, the body was bad. And so they were worshiping angels. Then you'll, you'll, you'll read as we go along in this book, there's a lot of tones of legalism. Like if you obey, God will love you more. And so we have to keep these rules and these rules and these rules. And that way you'll have greater assurance that you won't, that you are the people of God. And so they're tempted to to take a little bit of that. And then you have like this, um, uh, yeah, this, this worship of angels and they were Jewish mysticists because there was a lot of mysticism and magic going on. And so some commentators like, well, maybe this is a Jewish cult or maybe this is Gnosticism and we don't know. But all we know is he's gonna address this hodgepodge of spirituality. And let me just say, it's the exact same. 
culture we're in today. It's basically, I'll take a little bit of this spirituality. You know what? That guy's a good neighbor. He looks like a good dad and he's worshiping angels. So what's wrong with that? And then we'll do that. And so they were beginning to get this sense that, that they could take all religions and have Jesus. So they'd be like, yeah, Jesus is our main guy. We're Christians. Let's still go to church, but we can have Jesus plus this practice. Jesus plus this, Jesus plus this. And Paul's like, no, Jesus plus anything is the worst because it is, you lose Jesus. Paul won't have it. He's not gonna have a spiritual buffet because there's no other gospel truth than the one they heard. And I wanna say, as we begin this, we need to hear that, that there are a lot of faiths, there's a lot of spiritualities and they have sincere faith, but it's sincerely wrong because it's not in the true object that can actually save your soul. And so Paul is wanting to warn them. He's wanting to teach them. He's wanting to ground them in the bigness and the preeminence of who Jesus is. And so imagine it's, he's in prison and he's taking an arrow of warning, of correcting, of doctrine, and he's shooting it across the bow into this congregation so they can be anchored in Christ, so they can continue to follow Jesus because they're not yet um, swayed out yet. They're in the early stages and you'll learn about this as we read through the letter. And so it's a letter about anchoring us in Christ. Here's how to live all of life in Jesus. Here's how to know God's word. Um, okay, so that's a little bit of background. You ready? We're gonna, we're gonna do a little something different just for this series. We're gonna stand when we read the Bible, okay? So I'm gonna have you stand and we're gonna stand for the reading of God's word, Colossians 1, 1 to 8, and then we'll unpack it. All right, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. You may be seated. Okay, so we're gonna look at um, three marks that, that Paul gives thanks to God for. So he's thanking God as he's looking at this church and, he, and here's what he's looking at. He's, he's thanking God for their identity is in Christ. So he's looking at a church's identity and then he's thanking God that their, their hope is in heaven. Their hope is in heaven. It's producing faith and love, but this is the church's hope. And then he, he's thanking God for the church's power. This is the gospel. It's growing all over the world and it's growing in them. So these are the three marks of, of a church that Paul's thanking God for. And so we're gonna uh, take one, one by one, but my hope and my prayer is that as we read these today, that, that we would think in this room, um, our identity, our hope. So you're, you're thinking the church is the people, Right, so you're my, my community group's identity, how I wanna, I wanna know that, I wanna fight for that. Their hope, our hope, our power. What is the church's power? What is the short church gonna be, by God's grace, we're gonna be thanking God for because we're seeing this in us as a people, okay? So, so we're gonna hear the word and then, and then do it. That's, that's where we're going. So first, a church's identity. 
Verse one, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. First thing we need to see is this, as I said, is not just a letter written by two guys who care. This is not just a casual letter by a bunch of buddies. This is on behalf of God himself. This is the will of God. We need to hear this letter where we are today as from the Lord. So, so this is by the will of God. This is the word of God. And I say this because where we go to learn about Jesus matters. Where you go and learn about Jesus is really important. Where you get your theology of Jesus, how you understand your relationship with Jesus, your purpose in Jesus is very important because if Jesus changes everything, if Jesus is the author of creation, the author of our salvation, he's the answer to all our big problems because that's what we're gonna say and he shapes everything, then it matters where we learn about Jesus. And so as we come to Colossians, I want us to think, I can't wait to hear from an apostle about Jesus Christ. Where you learn about Jesus is really important. All right, so he continues. To the saints... And faithful brothers, and here's where we get our first point, in Christ at Colossae. Okay, I love this. Notice what he does. He locates this congregation, not only in their geographical location, but in their theological location. So, so in Paul's mind, just as these Christians are literally in the region of Colossae, they are also living in Christ, Paul's wanting us, wanting the Colossians to know no matter where you are, geographically and physically, what you are spiritually will never change. This is why he says to the saints, no matter where you are, who you are does not change. Okay, so if you grew up Catholic, how many of you grew up Catholic? Okay, don't think, okay, most, wow, that's a lot of Catholics. Um, I gotta learn my Catholic theology, okay. They're like, he's wrong. I don't know. Okay, so here's what I know about saints. Saints, you're, you're, you've been given sainthood if you did a lot of good things and, um, and then you, you died and, and you got a committee together of other you know, guys in hats and uh, they determined that your life was, was somewhat worthy and then all of a sudden miracles happen when you die around you, then you get, don't think that, okay? What Paul is saying is that if you have Jesus removing your sin no more and his life, your sins are paid, they're gone in him. He died your death in your place. And now he's living in you. You're a saint. You have Christ's perfect righteousness in you. You're a saint. Okay, so where are we right now? North Vancouver, right? We're in Park and Tilford. Follow Paul here. Cause I'm gonna beat this into our heads all morning. For Paul, where you are never determines who you are. So you may be at the office, the gym, traveling under the weather, out of money or whatever, but you're always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be down in the dumps, over the hill or beside yourself, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be at paradise or in prison or at a show or eating at Brown's, but you are always unchangeably in Christ. See, this is the church's identity. And I need to ask you this morning, as we begin this new series, what's your identity in? How do you define yourself? What is defining you? Because identity changes everything. It does. If you know who you are, you know what to do. The problem that he's beginning to smell in this church, the, the anxiety, the lies that are beginning to just make us feel unsure is not usually found in our circumstances or situations. 
The problem is we have, the problem we have is when we're looking outside of God to give us only what God can, true identity. And that this was the war. This was, this was the air that they were beginning to breathe and so it is today. So our culture today uh, uses identity language always connected to self, right? We know this, we all have gone to anywhere. Um, and, and so the, the identity is self, right? I mean, I, I picked up a few magazines this week just to make sure that the culture is the same as, so, and it is, it's, it's, it's self-help. Culture changes so much. Self-love, self-esteem, self-actualization. And, and what do they all have in common? Self, me. I'm in the center. There's no regard to God. There's no reference to God. And so we're looking for who we are without any reference to who God is. And so the world says, well, the center is not God, it's self. It begins with self. And that's not Christianity. I would say that's not reality. If God exists, which he does, and and he's made us for him, which is true, it would mean we are who we are in relation to who God is, in reference to God. So let me ask us this. Are you living, think about your life right now, are you living in an identity that's not given to you by God? Can I ask you, what identity has someone given to you? Or, or you've kind of assigned to yourself? Okay, let's just go into the deep end. Um, how many of you are living in an identity that someone else has given you? I'm a failure. I'm the ugly one in my class. I'm lazy, I'm stupid, I'm dirty. I'm a pervert, I'm not good enough, I'm a rebel. And so our answer is, well, you gotta give yourself a new positive identity, okay? No, you're, not, you're a motivator. I'm a motivator, I'm a leader, I'm successful, I'm strong. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And so, so with those in mind, and j- just follow me here, both positive and negative, what do they all have in common? They all have someone else and self in view. Okay, so, so if your identity is I'm a failure, a failure compared to who? If I'm ugly, they are pretty. If I'm a motivator, who's in mind? See, identity turned in on the self lives in the treadmill of comparison, right? You're always measuring up to, you're always trying to figure out like, how do I get myself up here compared to here? See, if your identity isn't given by God, if it's not coming from God, you will be obsessed with not just who you are, trying to find who you are and compared to other people, but you will be obsessed with who you aren't. And it is just a treadmill and treadmill of just where, where Satan wants to keep you, where you just worship you. It's the subtle cancer. Now follow me here. When you add anything to Jesus, if you add anything to Jesus, you'll begin to worship an idol. Let me put it this way. When we go outside of Jesus to determine the substance of our identities, we actually begin to engage in idol worship. 
What do you mean? Well, idolatry says I will not be defined by God. I'll be defined by, you know, other things like my car, uh, my status, my success, my grades, um, my, you know, my, my beauty. So, so my other people who I know. Okay, so he, here's what James Bonney knows when it comes to relationships and relationship idols, okay? I love people, but I easily make them into idols. So if I'm seeking to get identity from you, what will happen? Here's what will happen. You'll notice it. You'll be like, James, it's happening. Get off me. All right, if I'm, if I'm seeking to get identity from you, I, I will watch you too closely. I will become obsessed with how I feel around you. I'll, I'll be thinking about what kind of rest, what kind of uh, love you're giving me. And then I'm gonna also become very aware of your weaknesses and failures. How many of you, you can think of someone right now that that's, that's how you are around them. See, when we're holding onto a relationship for identity, we will become overly critical, frustrated, and angry. Do you wanna know why? Here's why. It's not because they're a sinner, which they are, but it's because they fail to deliver the one thing you're wanting from them. What is that? Identity, a sense of worth, a sense of self, a sense of who you are. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus gives us an identity. Saint is your constant identity in Jesus. Not only does God say you're an image bearer, but when Jesus came and lived the life you could not live, a perfect righteousness, and then died and remove your sin, he came into you and he is your new identity. Paul says it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. Your new identity is not a new you. It's not like you add Jesus and you become super you. It's you lose you and you get Jesus. He's your new identity. His righteousness defines you. So to be in Christ is to have the life he lived over your life. Your success is secure. To be in Christ is to have the security of the father's love. You're loved. To be in Christ is to be made new in him. Whatever sin brought shame into your soul, whatever was done against you and someone tells you that's who you are or Satan tells you that's who you are, that is a lie. You've been given a new white garment in Christ and he covers you. And this is the theme of this book that Jesus changes everything, that Jesus is preeminent, that Jesus, you're complete in him, you're found in him, you're formed in him, that God's goal for your life is to make you more like who you already are. Christ in Christ. Okay. Thanks, James. You're welcome. Yes, I like that, but... I still have this weird weight on my chest because you don't know how my week went. You don't know the stuff I looked at or the thoughts I had or the anger that was in my soul. And, and I, I'm mad and I'm mad and I'm anxious. And Okay, so let me ask you this. If you're a Christian, is your identity a sinner? The Bible teaches that we are sinners by nature and choice. But if you're a Christian, let me ask you, is your identity a sinner? No, no. Your activity is different than your identity. Saint is your constant identity in Jesus. Sin will, will happen occasionally in activity, but who you are is in Christ. Sin explains what we do 
and hate down deep because we've been given a new heart with new desires, but being in Christ explains who we are. And this is how Christ sees us. You're in Christ. When the father sees you, he sees his perfect son's life. This is your identity. Whether you're feeling it or not, it is, and not might be, it is. It's not if I'm doing better, it is. It's not perhaps when I let this hurt go, it is. It's how God sees you, when he sees you, he sees Jesus and he loves you with the same passion he loves Jesus. That's happening now for you, Christian. So first, a church's identity is in Christ. Let me ask you, how's it going here? Think about it this way because I was convicted on this. Deep down, I want to please God, right? We, if you're a believer, that, that's in your veins. I mean, you just want to love the Lord. And what do you think pleases God more? Our effort to try to gain our identity in Christ or believing all that Christ has done for us? Like, like, like do you know it dishonors God when we choose to live by our feelings and not by faith? Like you're not making him look great. If you're going, I'm gonna live my own earthly identity out, even though I know I'm in Christ. So, so this false humility of I'm gonna own this sin, I'm gonna be this guy, I'm gonna, who told you that? I, I've, I've met people who are living sometimes just these strange ways of life and not living for God in these areas and fully for God here. And I'll ask them, why do you do this? And they'll say, because this is who I am. I'm, I'm a pervert or I'm a failure or, or I'm a rebel or I'm a, and I'm like, who told you that? God didn't tell you that. Second Mark Paul thanks God for is a church's hope. Okay, he continues, verse three. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I love that. Notice who, who Paul uh, praises for their fruit. God, the father. Paul's excited that God's at work in the lives of the Colossians. He says this, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So, so he just saw love and faith growing and he goes, the father did that. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a beautiful model for us, short church, that if you see any spiritual growth, thank God for that. If you see any character or any fruit or, or you respond closer to Jesus or you're running to him more quickly or you're believing the gospel more strongly and you see you know, him, that's God at work in your life. You need to hear this. God wants to say this to you this morning. I'm at work in your life. I'm at work in your life. The enemy will, okay, everyone look at me. Some of you aren't. The enemy will, you can't miss this part. That's why I'm saying that. The enemy will want to say to you, God doesn't want to use you. Or he'll say, God's not at work in your life. That he's abandoned you. He's left you. And it's a lie. It is a lie. So what we need to do as a church is what Paul models here for us. And that is we need to be a church that sees and celebrates evidences of God's grace. Evidence Evidences that God's bearing fruit. So what are you gonna do in your community group is you're gonna look around the room and you're gonna pause and you're gonna take one person at a time and you're gonna think about them and we're gonna celebrate evidences of God's grace. God's at work in your life. Here's how God's at work in your life. When you're with people, do you slow down and just 
Anytime they were like, oh man, I was, I was reading my Bible earlier. And you're like, whoa, whoa, you were reading your Bible? Yeah, that's a, God's at work in your life. That's amazing. Can we just stop and thank God for that? Sure, that's weird. Okay, but do that. that that's what Paul would do. He was, he was just, he was excited. God's at work with your spouse. Do, do you point out when all of a sudden they just say something that's like, hey, that was really spiritual and go, God's at work in you. So we miss this. We don't do this. We're really good at going, he sucks and she's got to work on this and this is, but where are we seeing fruit? Okay. So anytime you see fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So if you see, you know, in Jason, some, any kind of gentleness or any kind of love or any, you go, God's at work in your life. Okay. We got to look for that in the church. All right. That's just a side point. That doesn't count for my time. Okay. Um, it doesn't. Since, notice what he sees. Since uh, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, how you, how you trusted and accepted Jesus, that's faith, faith in Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Notice the connection. When someone trusts and loves Jesus, there's always a link to loving his people. There's always a link to loving his people. Okay, I think it was Augustine who said, no man can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. Okay, you can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, but I hate the church. First John says, no. If you say you love me, you'll love one another. Paul's thanking God for the fact that their faith in Jesus is what is producing in them the love of Jesus. It's exciting. Okay, so here's the actual point. A church's hope, Paul continues, because, notice this, because of the hope laid up for you, where? Where's the hope? Someone yell it out. In heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So, so somehow hope is producing, hope for help in heaven is producing and growing faith and love. The basis for faith and love is, is this future hope laid up for them in heaven. Now, I want you to think about how powerful this gospel is. This gospel is a, a like when you were a kid, remember like, um, at least I would do this, is I would know where my parents would hide all the Christmas presents. And so I would, what I would do is just rip a tiny tear so I could see it, you know? So the gospel is, is that when Christ comes again, you get the full gift. You get eternity, you get all, no more, like what, what uh, Jordan was just reading and, and, and pleading with God to do, wipe away every tear. So that's coming, but this life is just a rip. And he's going, hey, what's really fueling this church is they've opened the present. They're seeing it. The hope laid up for them in heaven is exciting. He's saying everything Jesus is for us is a glimmer of what is coming. What Christ has done for us will last into eternity, resurrection, eternal glory, and inheritance. Jesus will, what Jesus has and will experience forever, so too will we if that's where your hope is resting, then you can, you can live with no boundaries. You can give everything away. If that's what you have, imagine how you can love. See, the gospel tells you something is stored up for you in heaven. The message of the gospel is that heaven is not like money that you're gonna kind of get at the finishing line, but heaven is like money that's already in the bank. It's already yours. This earth, these next 30, 40, 50, this isn't our hope. 
As Christians, we have a new hope. Jesus not only gives us all the benefits of the gospel here, but everything is all just shadows pointing to the greatest eternity of knowing and enjoying Jesus with God. And this was, this was fueling the church in Colossae. They could, they could love one another because they were like, I, I can't wait to see you on that day. I know that's where you're going. Have you ever been on an airplane um, you know, with like a group of people and all of a sudden you found out they were all going to the same place? Anybody? Or like on a bus or something? Um, it's something really weird happens you all of a sudden feel like you guys are buddies. Like you've known each other. You're going to Disney. I'm going to Disney. Oh, let me, I've been there twice. Let me just show you this is the, all of a sudden you guys are just all friends because you're going to the same place. You begin to like start giving stuff away. You want to call them. What happened? They all know they were going there. So there's just this love for the church. It's, it's growing. And I think um, uh, people living on the North shore, including myself, we, we, we don't think about this ever. We don't. I mean, honestly, let me ask you this. In your own Christian life, how much of all that you are doing for one another is because you have a hope laid up for you in heaven? That, that you're going, man, I got eternity. I got an inheritance. I can just, I mean, that's gonna change how I see my money right now this week because none of us, maybe, you're like, that's not a lot of faith in your church. Okay. <laughs> Evidence is a grace. Some of you do, but... Here's what I know. I know most of us in this room think we're gonna live to 80 or 90 and then we're gonna die in our sleep. And it's just, that's gonna happen. Despite the fact that we just know it's not true. Okay, I don't wanna be downer, but you're gonna die. Okay, some of you are gonna die really soon. Oh, this is weird. This is a weird part of this you are. Here's how I know that. I've been a pastor for six years at this church. I've done a funeral every year. We can pump our bodies with vitamins and that's good. We should take care of ourselves. Antioxidants. We can go to cycle clubs. We can go to Whole Foods every day. We can get those weird boosters in the windows at, you know, Yale Town. I don't even know what they're doing there. What is that? It's like vitamins. That was, it was a weird experience. Have you ever walked by one of those windows and people are just shooting up something? And, but they're looking at you. And you're like, do you have your cough? Anyways, you can do that, but it's coming. 10 out of 10 people die. So here's my question. Where is your hope? I mean, seriously, think about this right now. We're in this text. God, the Holy Spirit has this for us today. Where are you putting it? Is the hope in your veins, the hope stored up for you in Christ in heaven? I want to take you to another passage and I want you to see this language. This is Peter. So Peter, we talked about him last week. He was one of the disciples who, who denied Jesus and then began the church. Jesus restored him three times and was called to build the church. And later he's in a persecuted church. Some of the Christians in his church are being murdered at their workplace. They're being hung upside down. That's how he will die. And listen to what he says. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. It's a verb, set it. Uh, fixate fully, tolerate no distractions, entertain no divisions. Don't let your mind be swayed. Set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Devote every ounce of your mental and spiritual emotional energy to concentrating, contemplating the hope of the grace that is to come. John Piper, in one of his messages about hope, it's a big quote, it'll be on the screen for you, where, he says this, where is the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile and a sojourner on the earth? Where is the person who has so tasted the beauty of the age to come that the diamonds of the world look like baubles and the entertainment of the world is empty and the moral causes of the world are too small because they have no view to eternity? Where is this person The problem with the church today is not that there are too many people who are passionately in love with heaven, name three. The problem is not that professing Christians are retreating from the world, spending half their days reading scripture and the other half singing about their pleasures in God all the while indifferent to the needs of the world. The problem is that professing Christians are spending 10 minutes reading scripture and then half their day making money and the other half enjoying and repairing what they spend it on. So that's the church's identity, a church's uh, hope now. Paul thanks God for a church's power. The power of the short church, here it is. Of this, this hope, this hope in Jesus, this this hope uh, uh, stored up for you in heaven, you have heard before, where? In the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of God on your behalf and has made, to, made known to us your love in the spirit. So here's our church's power, the gospel. He says, the gospel has come to them. The good news message is bearing fruit. It's like a life living dynamic, organic power. In the book of Acts, again and again, we see the gospel is essentially working on its own. It has, it has little support, little human planning, and it's just going, just, it is increasing. Let me give you some verses. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and great many of the priests became obedient to faith, Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased, Acts 19. This is after the gospel explodes in Ephesus. This is where, where Epaphras learned the gospel. We read that people are coming and they're repenting from their magic and all that kind of thing. And it says this, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the valley of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Anybody grew up in a youth group where they quoted that and y'all burnt your CDs? Anyways, okay. Here's my point. So the word, and then you're like, why'd I burn my CDs? Okay. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and, and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord. The gospel is a power. It bears fruit. It's not that the gospel saves you and now obedience and hard work advances you. It's not that the gospel saves you and now you got to add to it. The gospel advances. The gospel is what brings you in and the gospel is what sends you forward. 
Okay, Tim Keller, he says, the gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. It's more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just A, B, C's, but the A to Z. Okay, Richard Loveless says that the most, most people's problems are just a failure to be oriented to the gospel, a failure to grasp and believe it through and through. Luther says the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Okay, this is classic Luther. Here's what he says. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. It's the most central, dynamic, powerful, fruit-bearing truth. If you're in this room and you love Jesus, it's because the gospel came to you and bore fruit. You didn't work the miracle. The gospel worked the miracle. And so if you're here and you're struggling in your faith, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to the gospel and you need to, to, to go back to the door that brought you in again and again. And you gotta leap off that. Remind yourself you're in Christ. Remind yourself what Christ has done. This is why we open our Bibles. This is why we do communion every Sunday. This is why we exist to make Jesus known because it's the gospel power that is building and changing the people of God. The only power we have as we get out from this building is the gospel message. All right. That's the gospel power, church's power. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close. And, and as we close, I want us to think of those three marks that Paul thanks God for. And I wanna ask you as we respond, as the band comes up, which one of those three, my identity in Christ is my hope laid up for me in heaven and a gospel power, which one of those was resonating most? Which, which one did I feel like God say, I wanna establish you in this. I, I want you to grasp onto this. I want you to grow. I want you to get more of Jesus in, in this one. So whatever it was, I'm gonna ask you, what are you gonna do about it? Like today, 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 maybe for you, it was Jesus saying, hey, grasp your identity in me. You, you've forgotten who you are. You've been living on a treadmill, looking for broken down people who are also broken to give you what only I can. Do you know who you are in me? Do you know you're loved? Do you know you're not this? So, so, so what are you gonna do to, to remind yourself of this gospel identity? How are you gonna fight for it? What truths in the gospel are yours? Who, who can you call and go, hey, can we, can we search the Bible together? Let's make a list of 10 things that we are in Christ and can we pray for each other? I mean, like the action's up to you, but what are you gonna do about it? And, and, and are, are, you, are you coming to the message, the truth? Where's your hope? I believe so many of us are so worried, we're so controlling and we're so anxious because we're living for this life. And our hope is in the things of this world. 
So what is it gonna look like for you to root your hope in what you have in heaven? Maybe you make a list of all those things that you have in heaven. So maybe you read through Colossians because he's gonna just keep going. What are you gonna do about it? I think we try to prove ourselves to ourselves over and over and over. And this is not the way God sees you. He's given you inheritance. See, the call this morning is to remember the gospel. It's to go back and live out who you are because Christ is in you. You have the hope of glory. Jesus is changing you. God's at work in your life. And so as we come and we take communion, let's celebrate. This is what he's done. This is who I am. And I, and I can say with great sincerity, and I'll close in prayer with this, is I thank God for you. You guys are a wonderful, you're a great church. And I see this fruit and I hear what's happening in community groups. And when you get together, you're reminding yourself of the gospel of the hope laid up for you. So I thank God for you. But what was it that Jesus put on your heart? What, what is that gonna look like? And I want you to, as we respond Ask him to fill you with that identity and ask him to, to fuel your love for him so that, so that whatever that is, whatever you want to grasp on and hold on to, that you're turning from the things of this world to him. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for the faith and the love of all the saints in this room. I thank you for the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. I thank you that we are in Christ and in North Vancouver. And I thank you, Father, for the power of the gospel that we are not left on our own this week, that we have a, we have a living power that w- when we come into connection with you, Jesus, what you've done in relationship with you, hearing from you, spending time with you, I just, I pray that those things that you've put on our heart, even the excitement you put on our heart, or even the, the hunger you put on our heart to, to know our identities in Christ, to live that out more, I pray that you would help us now as we respond. Give us your power, your strength, because apart from you, we can do nothing. And so I thank you for the good news of the gospel. I thank you that every, everyone is gonna come up here and take the bread and dip it in the wine or juice they're going to celebrate Christ in them just as the bread has come into them. All that you've done for us, all the inheritance, everything you've purchased for us is because you are in us and we are in you. And that was your salvation. And I pray God, if there's someone here who, who, who isn't holding on to you as savior, that they would, that they would believe and say, I believe and that they would come and take communion as an evidence of their faith. So I just pray you'd be with us now as we respond in Jesus name, amen.